Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Hey, everybody, we've got a great one today, you know, for a change. And let me tell you why. This is our, our Super Bowl show, and it's, it's not about the Chiefs and the Bucks or Mahomes versus Brady. It's about our culture. It's about family. It's about masculinity, about violence. It's about concussions and human tragedy. And I just have to warn you, I love football. And so does my guest, Reed Forgrave, who has written a powerful and very moving book uh, about all of that. Reed is a journalist. He writes for the Minneapolis Star Tribune, my great hometown newspaper. He's written for the New York Times. Uh, See, he's legit. And uh, for Fox Sports and CBS Sports and for Mother Jones. So he's one of us. And his book, Love Zach, really tells a, a heartbreaking story about uh, Zach Easter. He's a middle son in, in a football family from Indianola, Iowa. Zach's dad played college ball, as uh, did Zach's older brother. Zach was kind of the runt of the family and not as uh, talented as his brothers, but Zach made up for it by being the toughest, hardest-hitting guy on the field and leading with his helmet and his head. Love, Zach, is the story of Zach's struggle with CTE and his ultimate suicide. And uh, maybe the worst part of it all is that uh, this was a sweet kid who loved his family, loved his his girlfriend, who really loved him back and tried to see him through his years-long nightmare, which ended when uh, Zach took his life at age 24. Next week, we'll be back to political news, and I'll be uh, talking impeachment with Adam Schiff. Uh, We have Dr. Anthony Fauci coming up in a few weeks, and we also have um, a really great one about how devastating the pandemic has been for Uh, children from low-income families in Washington, D.C., which is also about some of the tremendous efforts uh, by people who work for the D.C. public school system to ameliorate that, including my daughter, uh, of whom I am very, very proud. Now, before we get to my interview with Reed Forgrave and, and football, a couple things. First, if you're a fan of the Al Franken podcast, and why wouldn't you be? Uh, Don't answer that. Please sign up uh, for my email list. You can do that uh, by going to alfranken.com and scrolling to the bottom of the page, alfranken.com. Now scroll. Whoa, uh, wait, wait. Uh, You can't do it when you're driving. Don't do it when you're driving. Uh, We've had a couple of very bad accidents 
from just that very thing. Uh, don't drive and sign up for my email list at the same time. And uh, just uh, a few words about the new Biden administration. Very different, don't you think? Uh, you know, from the last one. Am I wrong? Well, that's all I've got to say about that. Just uh, something I've noticed. And we will be right back with Reed Forgrave and our discussion about football and America. It's a great one. You know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. My guest is uh, Reed Forgrave. Uh, Reed is a sports writer, currently for the Minneapolis Star Tribune, uh, my hometown newspaper, and he's written uh, for the New York Times Magazine and Mother Jones, among other publications, and he lives, of course, in Minneapolis. Now, uh, Reed, we're going to be talking about your book, Love Zach and about concussions, and it's a terribly sad book. And you're our Super Bowl guest because I love, 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 love watching football as much as I love, love, love watching football. This is a sad, sad, sad book. But before we get to the sad book, you are you not you don't write about the Vikings that much in the paper, do you? So I I have this bizarre career where I used to work in newspapers and then I wrote for Fox Sports and CBS Sports uh, for a number of years. And my job with the Star Tribune is uh, kind of kind of a hybrid. It's, it's honestly much less sports, and it's more just human writing. Like I had a story that ran this week that was a, I don't know, 4,000-word story about a police officer from southern Minnesota who was shot in the head a year ago, somehow survived, and kind of like that long road back. So So – even when I was a full-time sports writer, I never really thought of myself as someone who wrote about the games so much as the people within the games, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's certainly what this book, uh, Love, Zach, is about. But for, I, I just 
because we're leading up to the Super Bowl, I, I love, as I said, I love football. And the Super Bowl always makes me a little nervous because I know that after the Super Bowl, there's going to be no football. I was thinking the same thing earlier today. Every football fan thinks that. Oh, good. The Super Oh, no. When it's over, that's it. That's it. We don't see it again. I, I want to ask you just so you're a football fan and you're in Minnesota. So you, I'm sure you're a Green Bay watcher, a close watcher of the Packers. What the hell was that? Why? <laughs> uh, and, and also, my listeners, by the way, uh, usually are, we're talking politics or we're talking public policy. This is a public policy issue and a big one and an important one and a significant one. And I, I hope they're, they're hanging in for this, even if they aren't uh, football fans. But basically, it was fourth and Angola at the eight-yard line. They were down by eight, the Packers, with what was left, like two, uh, three minutes? Yeah, three minutes left. And, you know, Tom Brady's the other quarterback. You're going to give them the ball back? Uh, it was, I, I'm actually a Vikings fan, which is uh, highly unfortunate, by the way. But uh, one of my best friends is a Packers fan. And we frequently talk about how, how Mike McCarthy wasted so many great years of Aaron Rodgers' career by being one of the worst head coaches in the NFL. And then LaFleur on Sunday, I mean, that was a, uh, what was he thinking? I, I, have, I have no idea, especially when Aaron, I, I, Aaron Rodgers did not have his best game. He didn't look particularly sharp. It's still Aaron Rodgers, and you have a chance to, to tie it up. Just for listeners who weren't watching, okay, they're down by uh, eight uh, with three minutes left. They're on the eight-yard line. It's fourth and eight, and instead of going for it, they kick a field goal, which puts them down by five. <laughs> so they still need a touchdown. Okay, and it means they're going to kick off to them, and that means they're going to get the ball at the 25, whatever, right? And then they got Tom Brady to try to run out the clock. As opposed to, even if they didn't make it on fourth and goal, and it's an incomplete pass, then the Buccaneers have the ball on the eight. And and uh, so you're, you got your ears uh, and eye attuned to the sports writing and broadcasting world. Or is that a big deal today? The only reason it's overshadowed is because you know, one day after the game, you have this news that Aaron Rodgers talking about he's uncertain what his future is in Green Bay, which, you know, to Packers fans is, is the last thing they want to hear. He has three years left on his contract. Uh, you know, for, for my money, the most talented quarterback currently in the NFL didn't look like it on Sunday. But, uh, yes, yeah, I agree. Mistake. We always talk about like players panicking in the moment. To me, that was a young coach panicking in the moment and just making the wrong call. Yeah, but the wrong call at the wrong time and a spectacularly wrong call. It was a wrong call that I went like, what? And and I went, could that possibly be the right call? That's That was my reaction. Well, is there something I'm missing? No, that's a terrible call. <laughs> huge okay. mental error, a huge mental mistake, which you'd think you'd have. Okay, I'm just so, so worried about my listeners who listened for Norm Ornstein and Preet Bharara. We lost them already, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, honest to God, this is going to get in this uh, an extremely important issue. And what you're hearing, by the way, is how people who are football fans talk about football all the time and how this 
problem, which is this destroys the brains of football players and um, leads to CTE. What does CTE stand for? Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which kind of think of it as almost early onset Alzheimer's. It's very, very similar in a physiological way, uh, what happens in the brain. And we see the NFL trying to deal with this. You know, we saw in the uh, both... Uh, the uh, divisional playoff games. The divisional yeah. playoff games, both quarterbacks got... Uh, the, both star quarterbacks for uh, Kansas City and so Baltimore. Kansas City and the Baltimore, yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, the past two MVPs of the NFL on the same weekend getting knocked out of games, playoff games, important games via concussion. And actually, look, I, it, it's so easy to rip on the NFL and rip on their commissioner, Roger Goodell. But I think an important point that was kind of glossed over from those games was the fact that it is such a move in the right direction for this league that neither of these star quarterbacks went back into the game. Like that's, that, that is a marker of huge progress for the NFL years ago, 10 years ago, you know, your season's on the line, your quarterback's a little bit wobbly, whatever you put them back in. That's not the team's decision, right? Correct. Yeah. That's a, no, that's a great point. And, and that, that, that's probably why that decision was made, because you have the independent neurological consultant uh, on the sideline. So in other words, now when a player is, looks like he's been concussed, he goes into the what is that, that tent, and they look at him, and then who decides then whether to have these, is it three uh, medical people who look at him and decide, whether or not he can go back in or whether that's it. I don't know exactly how many are doing the concussion test. I know that there are now 30 medical personnel on the sidelines for every NFL game. And I think very importantly, it's not a team physician who's on the Kansas City Chiefs or Baltimore Ravens payroll that makes the decision. Independent neurological consultant who can be unbiased. And that's, if you're being paid by the Chiefs, uh, to make that decision, I think that, that that sways you, right? Yes, of course, right? So they have to do that, and that's that's the part of the progress that we saw, that uh, both the Kansas City quarterback and the uh, Raven quarterback, uh, so Jackson and... Uh, Mahomes, yeah. I Mahomes, mean, Jesus, the great, best quarterback in the league. The next greatest of all time, right? I, I kind of think he is. Um, <laughs> He's incredible. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, both of them taken out of the game at crucial points in the game. I mean, it was the games are on the line. And, uh, you know, I'm such a Vikings fan that I admit to this, that I would like see Thielen, who's the receiver for the Vikings, get dinged, and they take him off and put him in the tent. And I go, oh, please, just let him in. You know, I'd have that reaction, which is terrible. <laughs> That's just awful. So I th your your book, let's go to the book and and and, and talk about I, I just wanted to give some taste to those of you who are listening who are not just not football fans or people who are football fans who have family or football fans and understand a little bit about this. This is just something that means a lot to people to be able to watch it and to root for their team and their in their community and go to this. I mean, it's a big part of American culture. Absolutely. Uh, 
So this book, it's about a young man named Zach Easter, 24 years old, uh, died by suicide uh, after having lots of mental health issues, uh, concussion-related issues after high school. He played football all the way just through high school and had half a dozen documented concussions and likely plenty of others that weren't documented. Uh, all sorts of issues from this. But the this book is, yes, it's about football, but it's about parenting. It's about middle America. It's about kind of what we value as a country. And football is such a metaphor for, you know, 20th century America. Uh, we watch this sport. We love this sport. We're obsessed with the sport. We, the NFL alone brings in $15 billion of revenue a year. We play fantasy football. Uh, we gamble on it. And Friday nights doing high school football and Saturday mornings tailgating at the college game and Sundays watching the NFL. It is kind of more than just a sport. In, in a lot of America, it's kind of like our sporting religion. It really has become that, and it has eclipsed uh, baseball. Oh, yeah. uh, clearly, as our national sport, uh, you kind of refer in not in the, quite the same language as George Carlin talking about uh, the difference between baseball and football. The object of the game in football is for the quarterback, otherwise known as the field general, to be on target with his aerial assault, riddling the defense by hitting his receivers with deadly accuracy in spite of the blitz, even if he has to use the shotgun. <laughs> With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory, balancing this aerial assault with a sustained ground attack which punches holes in the forward wall of the enemy's defensive line. In baseball, the object is to go home. I'm going home. I'm going home. Baseball's a pastime, right? I think calling it a pastime is, is and I love baseball too. It's, you know, baseball and football are my two favorite sports, but baseball is the sport that you go have a catch or play catch with your dad, depending what part of the country you're from. You have this sort of very innocuous, you know, sort of agrarian based game, whereas football, you're going to war. I mean, this is I, I'm not sure if any other sport simulates war as well as football does. And I think that that's something that comes out all through the culture of this sport in good ways and certainly in bad ways. Yeah. I mean, that's just the nature of this. And, and we are in many ways, there's a lot of disturbing aspects of our country in terms of the number of gun, uh, gun violence in terms of just, you know, uh, we, I think we are all just stunned on January 6th by that and the violence, the violence that we saw. We're going to take a break for a moment. We'll be right back. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. 
Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. So, Zach Easter, who is a subject of love Zach. He grew up in a football family. His dad played college, right? Yeah, so his dad uh, played at Drake University, which is a Division I school uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. And his older brother, the more talented football player, he had, you know, there are three boys in this family, and his older brother was the most talented football player. He played uh, Division I football in Mankato, same school that Adam Thielen played at. Right. Uh, before transferring to a smaller school. But this was a family that it was guns, hunting, and football. Like, that's how you make a man. Yeah, and that it, 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 they're in Indianola, uh, Iowa, which is, what, about 60 miles south of uh, Des Moines or something? It's about, it's about tw- I think, 20 to 25. It's It's in an interesting place where it's sort of within – the orbit of Des Moines, but still has its own. Ecosystem. It's still a small town. Yeah, idyllic small town that so, still sort of has that "quote unquote" big city influence. I know plenty of people would laugh at the idea of Des Moines being a big city, but for Iowa, it's the biggest. I mean, it, it is small town America. It is red America at its at its core. And of course, it's the it's that culture of small town it's no different than friday night lights in 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 uh, texas maybe a little different and and for this family certainly and for zach himself football is uh how you become a man and because in your book he is smaller than the other two brothers and he just wants to be the toughest he hits as hard as he can and he leads with his helmet and the coaches noticed this from, from a young age. He talked with some of his teammates, and they'll say, ah, oh, the coaches would always warn him, but there's only so much you can do. I think looking back 15 years later, and you look what happened to Zach, uh, you say, well, there, there, there clearly was more that they could have done. Did they know at that time? They didn't know. So Zach's uh, story comes at, a, at the worst possible time because he graduated from high school in 2009, which was just about the time that the concussions in football were starting to come into the national consciousness. People really weren't paying attention to that before then. New York Times, Alan Schwartz did a bunch of incredible investigative reporting, uh, all these suicides coming out in sort of the early 2010s. But it wasn't really until people were talking about it and there was science was out there, but I don't think it was until Junior Seau died by suicide that that to me was a tipping point where people went from this is crazy and this thing is probably real to oh my god we have a serious problem on our hands. Junior Seau was this uh, Hall of Fame, unbelievably great linebacker. Uh, was for San Diego? Did he play? 
Yeah, San Diego went on later. And I think played with the Dolphins and the and the Patriots later in his career. I think was the most valuable player. He he was the type of guy you fall in love with because he played the game with so much joy, and then to see this darker side of him come out, I think that was the part that was as jarring as just hearing that this great football player had had this terrible disease. It was the, well, this- when you say the darker side, I don't know if it's the darker side of him i think it's the disease and the the thing about your book the thing about the book is the suffering that this boy goes through and as you say i don't think they knew it when he they didn't really know this when he was playing high school football and the book is him struggling it's his struggle and his he has a girlfriend in it who's with him through it. And she goes to, off to college and she wants to I think she goes to law school, does she? Yeah. Now she's a she's a lawyer at a uh New York City law firm. And as he was going through the struggle, she was doing everything she could. She is so such a commendable person. And he is clearly I mean, a sweet person and this is part of what's so horrific about it this guy is suffering he's just suffering and so we start this interview talking about why the hell (laughs) you know did they kick a field goal you know what was that and it doesn't make any difference i guess I guess. So this is the dichotomy right there. I love watching football. Americans love watching football. You try to take football away from Americans, it would be like fixing the presidential election like Biden did. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone would get very mad. And so in writing this book, you made, I guess, a lot of choices. So tell me what your approach was to telling this story. I think the main approach was to let Zach's voice come out, to sort of let him tell his own story and why this book works. And I think it works, uh, but why it does work is because Zach, left behind all these journals, these handwritten journals that were like, hey, this is what I did today. And then he also like typed up this 39-page autobiography of sorts that documented his his struggles with concussions. Without those, and then without Allie, his girlfriend, uh, giving me months worth of text messages that she'd saved between her and Zach. Without that, this book doesn't work. So, so number one was just tell the story through this young man's uh, own eyes. Sort of, I think you get the sense that he's speaking to you be, from beyond the grave, and you see his uh, his descent in real time. The second part of this was this book couldn't be a book that that said there must be no football uh, because no one's gonna read that book. The people who would read that book would be the people who already believe that. I'd be preaching to the choir. I I felt that this book needed to be nuanced, which is 
a good thing because I'm I think I'm a nuanced guy and I'm still a football fan. Well, I think what we're what I'd like to talk about is how you do this, how you how you go forward knowing what we know and how the NFL goes forward knowing what we know and how whether you ha- allow kids even to play football before high school. I don't know anything about helmets, you know. And um God, I remember remember when Gary Busey, who was a pretty wild guy, got in a motorcycle accident and got pretty screwed up in the head. He was fine. I mean, he he came back. But uh, so Jack Handy was a writer on SNL, had him do an ad for a motorcycle helmet. He didn't wear a helmet was his thing. So it was not just for a motorcycle helmet, but for a motorcycle helmet protector. And then a motorcycle helmet protector, protector. And for a motorcycle protector, protector, protector. And the thing was absurd looking. (laughs) And that's Jack Handy. That's this brilliant writer. (laughs) He did. One uh, of my favorite New Yorker writers, too. Yes, he is. He did Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer for everyone and um he also did deep thoughts he did deep thoughts so sometimes people think because i did Stuart smalley i did deep thoughts no it was jack handy and jack handy's jack handy's real name anyway um so i'm you know my envision a helmet protector (laughs) and also i envision the gridiron being somehow have more give but how do you play football on a thing what what how do we how does this happen how do you keep doing this game knowing what we know? Well, first of all, as absurd as a helmet protector sounds, if you go to Zach Easter's high school uh, next football season, you will see in practices players wearing helmet protector protectors, like little soft foam mushroom caps that go over their helmets because they think that it could reduce the impact. They don't wear them in games. Uh, I, I Personally, I don't... Helmets aren't the solution. They can make it nominally safer, but the more protective of a helmet you get, the more players are going to feel no inhibitions about using their head. You make using your head a penalty, and you throw that flag. I this this year, am I right? Harrison Smith got called for leading with the helmet, just got called all the time for it, and he wasn't deliberately doing it. He was coming down low, and then the runner would go down low, and they'd hit the helmet. He actually got tossed in a game, and I don't think he was deliberately doing it. I got, I would get mad. I was pissed off at that call. But but you got to make that call. I mean, after reading this book, I say, okay, you make that call. You throw Harrison Smith out of the game, even though I know that Harrison Smith was just going for his, you know, to hit him in the chest. And then the guy went down with his helmet, and Harrison Smith gets thrown out of the game, and he's maybe the, what one of the best safeties in the game. Yeah. And we we lost him several. Uh, well, we lost him that game, but we he kept getting penalized. I don't know what that was, uh, why it was him so much. But I see that, and now I know. Okay, okay, that's okay. You just call that whenever, and that that makes you less likely. To, to even come close to doing that, I guess, right? So as a football fan, what scares me about the future of this sport is something different than that. Like, you can legislate those hits out of the game. And I actually think the NFL and college football have done a pretty good job, uh, as well as high school football, 
you, you throw a flag when that happens. Coaches get mad, players get mad, and eventually they adjust. You don't see. I don't know if you, I don't know, if you know the name Vontae's Perfect. Just a dirty, dirty player who got in all sorts of trouble for leading with his head over the years. You don't see players like that anymore. What scares me more about the future of the NFL isn't like the unnecessary roughness, but it's that idea of necessary roughness, which I wrote about this in the book. It's a contact sport, period. No one's going to watch the National Flag Football League. What we love about this sport is its violence. And you have, you know, look at the offensive line, 60, 70 times a game, you got these 300-pound men who crash heads against each other. They're not, it's not violent. Uh, dirty hits. It's just the nature of the game. And those are referred to as sort of sub-concussive hits that build up over time. The science hasn't caught up to this yet. We don't know whether the bigger precursor to CTE is having a half dozen of these concussive hits, or if it's having 10 years of sub-concussive hits. It's likely some stew of that, plus what, what each player brings into it. But if the, if the answer is we're more worried about subconcussive hits than that, 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 that a lifetime or, or, or 10 years of hit after hit after hit that aren't massive, that don't knock you out, but just build up over time, if that's the bigger concern, then this is an existential question for football. And I think within a couple of generations, unless science can somehow figure this out, the football will go away. It'll go the way of boxing. I hope that's not the case. but you look at the numbers they, you know, over the past decade or so, I think there's 10% less players playing high school football. I look at my two sons, uh, who, by the way, I, I hypocritically watch football with, uh, at least my younger son. I look at them, and I'm not going to let them play football. It's not like they'd be NFL players anyway, but I, I'm just not sure if the risk is wor- worth the reward. Maybe that makes me a hypocrite or someone who just engages in cognitive dissonance because I love this sport. What I worry about most is that regular hits, the boring hits, the things that happen every single play in football, that those are what might contribute to this awful disease. Those are the ones you can't take out of the game. Uh, that, I think, is what, is what is scariest when we talk about the future of this sport. And I guess we just need more of that science. And what is the difference between someone who does develop this and, you know, there are people who play this game and play for a long time and get those hits and nothing and nothing happens? Well, I, I went to a brain conference in, at the University of North Carolina, and they kept on talking about the infancy of this science. But one of the things that the scientists seem to think is that you can have the exact same thing happen to two different players. Uh and react completely differently. That it just could be that because of whatever it is inside you, your DNA, your, your your mental health, whatever that is, you may be, you know, have these DNA markers that say you're more susceptible to reacting poorly to concussions than another player who might react just fine. Well, that's like with pretty much anything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't. Wouldn't that wouldn't surprise anybody? I mean that uh, you know alcoholism and any anything, right? Well, like I can imagine if you could have some sort of medical test ten years from now, twenty years from now, where you say, "Hey, this this ninth grader who wants to, who's, a, who's a great quarterback and could really 
be so good in our high school team. Well, he has this uh, susceptibility to CTE and he doesn't pass the physical and he will never be able to pass the physical. Young man, you have to play basketball or, or track and field. That That is one way that I think football could be made much, much safer. But you're, you're, you're right about the violence of the game being part of the attraction. I mean, this weekend you, you'd see a hit and a guy who's going to get the yard for the foot first down doesn't because a guy put a monster hit on him perfectly perfectly legal perfectly no no head you know and you just and i think it was in the kansas city game the small crowd there you heard that crowd go whoa that's the game that's a big part of the game it wasn't that long ago that we we'd see that hit and the nfl itself would say oh let's put that on the year-end Highlights tape, right? These are highlight reel tapes that ESPN would have segments. Oh, they would probably, the NFL films would go, the 20 biggest hits, right? (laughs) It's crazy to look back because that that was not that long ago that these things were celebrated. Yeah. Now, the, the family, they seem very devoted to carrying out his legacy, what has the family done? I mean, his father, again, uh, devoted to football. His his brothers played football. Um, but it seems like they, as a family, what have they been, been doing to make people understand this? I mean, part of it is spreading his story, uh, and part of it is trying to, to use that story to, to further the science. They started a foundation called CTE Hope in Zach's honor. Uh, They are trying to raise money for uh, some sideline testing. The the goal that Zach's mother, Brenda Easter, has in mind is that you could have a saliva test on the sideline where after a big hit, a player can come over, spit in a cup, and within a few minutes you can say, hey, these biomarkers in your saliva indicate that you just had a concussion. Young man, you you are not playing the rest of this game. That that science is a long ways off, but that is sort of the uh, the holy grail of what they're aiming for. I think that the more complicated question is how this family kind of looks at football, and the mother is sickened by it. She sees it as the sport that that killed her son. The father, who, who so much of his life revolved around football, he I mean he's tortured by this. He feels some sense of complicity in his son's death. And yet he looks at football and he sees it as the way that he bonded with his three sons or one of the, one of the primary ways that he bonded with his three sons. I think he kind of just wishes he could go back you know, to the age of innocence when we didn't think about this stuff, but it's too late for that. And I think Allie, his girlfriend, who's very involved in this foundation, very close with the family to this day, five plus years since Zach's death, he has a very complicated relationship with with football. In a way, she hates it. And in another way, how she honored Zach one year after his death is that she took a road trip from Indianola, Iowa to Green Bay, Wisconsin with one of his best friends. They went to a Packers game with a bunch of money that Zach had left behind uh, for his girlfriend. And I think that, to me, just sums up this complicated relationship, not just that the family has, with football, but that with what America has. Let me read something from 
he left a long, I don't call it a note, for his family, right? I don't know what has changed in me, whether it be mental illness or something more from the concussions. All I ask is that you please donate my brain to the Sports Legacy Brain Bank to try and find out. Whatever it be, take it with grace. I know I love you. Spread the word of mental illness and concussions. And over time, please spread my story. Great things can still happen from this event. Think of all the lives that can be saved if all of you come together and help people by spreading the word. Um, this is a very sweet boy and uh, a boy that was tortured by this and understood that he was. He understood that this what it was what it was, which is very hard for anyone who's uh, been suffering through anything can relate to this. And this boy had a lot of courage, I think. I absolutely agree with with the courage part. And I think what makes Zach so unique is that, yes, he's a tough guy football player. Uh, and, and yes, like even to his dying days, he was so proud of being that tough guy. Like it was a central part of his identity. And yet at the same time, he was in touch with his emotion. He knew what he was going through had the foresight to document it. And I think the fact that he left these behind, especially for his mother, gave them a sense of purpose and, and, and a way that they could move on. And under, so much with suicide just leaves you asking, why, why, why? And with Zach, he's saying, this is what happened. Don't blame yourselves. Turn it into something good. And what a tragedy that he got to that point where he felt he couldn't live any longer. But what a blessing that he left this behind, not just for his family, but for you, know, you and me and, and other people in the world to hear this story and to get some sense of humanity from it. They did donate the brain, his brain, and they did see that he had the tissue that shows that he had the CTE, right? Yes. Yeah. They sent it to, uh, Dr. Bennett Amalu, who is the same doctor uh, portrayed by Will Smith in the movie Concussion, who was studying Mike Webster's brain in the early 2000s. He was a Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Famer, an offensive lineman, who ended up being kind of patient zero in this uh, concussion crisis that really got all this science started. So the same doctor... That, uh, that studied Mike Webster's brain, you know, more than a decade later was studying Zach's brain. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the way I feel about it is so, I mean, in this conversation, you heard us go different directions about football. And it's, I don't know how we proceed, but I, I think you're right. You wrote this really for people who want to know about this and want to understand how we can go forward, how this, how this can happen. And there's going to be a lot of people say, my God, just end it. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. I mean, it is, it's not just that it's a big business and there's a lot of people who would just say, well, it's too big a business. 
and there's a lot of money in it and but it's just too big a part of our culture the cultural question to me is is the the biggest part of this like love this sport if it's going to go away it certainly isn't going away anytime soon not can't imagine it while i'm still alive and i'm 41 um but i think ways of making it safer and i think more than more than just the stuff we were talking about, about helmets and rule changes and all that, it's more examining that culture of traditional masculinity versus toxic masculinity and that, that, that crazy blurry line there, which is a lot more difficult to, to change than it is to, to make a safer helmet. Yeah. And that has, that is a lot bigger. <laughs> it's a broader question. I, I would, I would say. All right. Well, who's going to win? Uh, who's going to win on Sunday? Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs, of course. Right? Well, and they'll be favored by what? <laughs> by what? four and a half points, I would think. Really? I Man. Brady, Brady looked, I know he threw a few interceptions, but I thought he looked great at the in the championship game. Um, you know, this feels like one of those passing of the torch type moments. Yeah. This is his 10th Super Bowl, is that it? For Brady, yeah, yeah, and I Gee think he whiz. The thing with Mahomes is his—he's physically one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. But I think his 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 genius as a quarterback is is even more impressive. Yeah, he's the whole he's the whole deal, and uh, they're going to win by more than four and a half. You can't win by four and a half, by the way. I know that. <laughs> Reed, thank you so much. Thank you uh, for one this book, this beautiful book. And but thank you for just this this important discussion, and um, you know let's let's keep you know let's keep on this, okay? Absolute absolute thrill to come on with you, and uh, really appreciate you spreading Zach's story because it's it's a sad story, but I do think it's a really important one for people to pay attention. To. Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. And now, gambling terms. Push, a wager that results in a tie. Even money. Bet with the same payout as you wager. Legit. Knowing where it's truly legal to gamble in Colorado. You can enjoy legal gaming in Blackhawk, Central City, Cripple Creek, as well as licensed online sports and off-track betting in Colorado. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. 
Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.